0: Welcome to Q&A, a a podcast series of conversations with artists from the Kaddish Gallery at St. Ambrose University. For those of you listening, we have a show of large format drawings that combine uh, traditional media and digital media together. It's a series of drawings that are all in the same scale and same subject matter, and the uh, same color palette. But I understand they come from all from one set of images that you began with to create the series?
1: Well I guess I I would fold back a little bit. I've always been interested in mechanical form and architecture and for a, a very good while before it was more mainstream I, I did a lot of 3D modeling and mm. computer work and I found myself moving away from that, but still attracted to mechanical form and hmm. a collision of the hand and, mecha- and machine, hmm. human, human qualities and, and versus man-made or mechanical ones. And so I gravitated away from the computer and I started going back to real sources. And I was always interested in cubism futurism, movements from the 1900s, Duchamp's New Descendies Staircase, Mm -hmm. Bride Strip Bear by Mm -hmm. Bachelors. And I started to look at actually publications for domestic tools. There was a publication called the Enterprising Housekeeper. And it Mm. was published by the Enterprising Machine Company. Mm. And it was geared towards sales of their products but geared towards domesticity. The Woman of the House, which again feels a little antiquated for us, but- was and, this,
0: were, were these catalogs from that time?
1: Yeah, they were from like ni- the 1902, 1900, right in there. And they illustrated uh, cherry pitters, juicers, meat grinders, domestic tools. And I, I was fascinated with that. I, I liked them as objects, aesthetic objects. I liked the distance in some ways with those types of tools they don't feel like the kind of tools we interact with Hmm. and um, so i began investigating these simultaneously i've been involved with a lot of women's cooperative galleries Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that directly influenced me but i think in some ways got me thinking about things that are more gendered, and so that's where this series began. It's not the only source that I draw from. A second source I became acquainted with was Pratt & Whitney's tools, Mm. and they still make tools, and I looked at some publications from a similar time period, 1900 again, and they had a lot of lathes and drill presses and tools that are are quote-unquote a little more masculine in their orientation. I found an interesting collision for myself back to my 3D modeling Hmm. experiences on the computer that I did not expect. When you work with 3D modeling you work with geometric primitives, i.e. the circle, the square, triangle, and that becomes sort of the cross-section for a lot of forms, the building blocks of a lot of forms. I know probably some of you've had drawing one and maybe you've drawn bottles and cubes mm-hmm. and thought, "Oh, why am I doing this?" <laughs> they are the they are the root forms of a lot of other things and if you understand them, they're they're deceptively simple and deceptively frustrating if you've mm-hmm. if you've been on either end teaching <laughs> yeah, or that. trying to capture those objects. Yeah,
0: yeah, day 1 we were um, painting the model stand. <laughs> so
1: Uh, On that note, another premise with 3D modeling is you work kind of in the idea of a lathe. It's also very sculptural, Mm -hmm. and if I fold back a bit further, as an undergraduate, when I first started my voyage as an artist, I I was very interested in three dimension, actually gravitated more towards sculpture than drawing or painting. What had led me back to drawing and painting and ultimately where I've been dwelling more creatively, is the tension of something actually working. I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe that's my own limitation, but when I'm thinking of a sculpture Mm -hmm. or an object that really does exist in three dimension, I was felt uh, limited by that because it it had to stand, it had to make sense, it (laughs) had to dwell in my space. And here, these objects are not bound by that or these configurations or personalities, whatever, You know, I I think of them not only as, I really don't think of them as objects, compositions of objects. I think they start to take on more than that. Mm -hmm. But again, the 3D modeling, concept of the concept of thinking about things sculpturally, thinking about them in the round, and this whole notion of whether they really practically work or not. Mm -hmm. I like to play with the logic of things, Mm -hmm. and I don't feel I can do that in a in a real time way if i was sculpting mm-hmm. an object right
0: right it may not
1: be that in whatever time i have ahead of me as an artist be it a day 10 years 20 years I, who knows <laughs> maybe i'll gravitate back to mm-hmm. three dimensions somehow but it does play a role in my thinking
0: when you were 3d modeling that so you start out sculpture and then painting and drawing and then you, you gravitate to the computer Did the 3d modeling on the computer scratch that itch in some way and it allowed you to Make a three D form that could be animated, or do things that were impossible. Was that where you were trying to get to, or?
1: Well, the I think that's a good, good thing to ask here because these do, to me, even though they're, they're frozen in time in some ways mm-hmm. because they're, they're captured at a moment. I I do view them as being animated, and and that isn't that's not, an area, that I have fully tapped into mm-hmm. with three D modeling, modeling, but certainly with Pixar and all the animation
0: that happens,
1: you're thinking about these forms in the round, but you're also thinking about the potential for them to move. You're kind of drawing them, if you will, in different states. Um, So you're thinking about forms kind of from the ground up, back to those primitives of circles, squares, triangles, but wireframe, you know, there's a lot of different layers that come to that before you even think about applying color or right. what kind of, you know, you can import surfaces, you can suggest surfaces. Now, not all of that is evident here. This is more relevant to a prior body of work, but I think the thinking in terms of these objects kind of, or again, maybe objects aren't the right word here, these events kind of unfolding and what's happening puts a lot of that kind of th- thinking and process mm. that I yeah. that I'm used to from the computer yeah. I think what has changed quite a bit from that earlier work that relates to your question is an issue of color. I've kind mm-hmm. of moved away from color, mm-hmm. whereas my paintings and things that were more driven by mm-hmm. 3D modeling were quite colorful. I've mm-hmm. kind of stepped back from that.
0: Well, you know, I think it's interesting that the they they're so reminiscent of like the futurists and the and and like you said Duchamp and that period of time where the objects were talking about machines but they're still very materially driven by the traditional processes of art you know and then you move you moved into digital technology so you adapted to the technology of the moment but it seems like it didn't satisfy something that you needed to come back to traditional media to explore and I, i'm just curious if you could talk a little bit about you know Charcoal and pastel, and why it was important to bring that back. And the reason I ask this question is because it's personally, I found it to be the case too that I'll work on something digitally for a long time, but if, if I just push print and it comes out of the printer, it's sort of a little bit dead on arrival by in and of itself, you know. If it's shown on a screen, maybe it's interesting, or it has, you know, or maybe if it was animated and it lived digitally, it would be what it is. But once it's printed and just made into this object that's in our world, it it's not satisfying. So I wonder if that's something something there where you came back to the actual material.
1: And I think that's also a very good question. There's certainly a concept of aura that lives with this. Mm-hmm. And whether something that's entirely mechanically generated has yes. has that kind of aura or appeal. Um you know I've been working with the computer since the late 1980s. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> you know, so again,
1: it's something that I, I came into not, not feeling, not certainly like this generation where it's ubiquitous and people are very comfortable with that. Right. I, I kind of did everything very analog. You know, I did a lot of things kind of the roundabout way that you can do really fast now. Yeah. And I've kind of dwelled in that place between mediating sort of the very spontaneous kind of immediate nature of the computer and again 20 years ago that was unique it was the geeks in the corner that had this new shiny toy that cost a lot of money and nobody else knew how to use it now everybody has it so that whole paradigm has turned on end yeah um i think for myself uh, so initially i was enamored by gee the computer and i can print this and you know but I, I was not satisfied with mm-hmm. that as sort of the end of my process. I looked at that as more of a means. I you know, I had done a lot of iris printing, I had done a lot of digital printing mm-hmm. and did straight up digital mm-hmm. prints. And there was a perfection in that. There's a whole perfection in 3D modeling and ray tracing and and printing things, and there's a whole level of perfection in my mind, at least that's how I feel about it, that initially for me as an artist made me I think constrained me in some ways that I couldn't I felt like I couldn't like connect with that so I, my initial work started off in a very part where I brought the hand back mm. in mm. in a very partitioned way so I did a lot of there's a couple triptychs here but I did a lot of triptychs where like the center was digital mm. and the sides were hand done and the twain mm. would never Right. 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 Me. They (laughs) kind of dwell comfortably or uncomfortably next to each other. Mm. Um, That work kind of started to change with some experiences I had starting around 2002, 2006. Mm. Going back now a ways, Mm. I did a number of residencies at a a center called the Maseril Center in um, Belgium, which Franz Maseril is known for woodcut stories. And graphic novels, essentially hmm. stories without words. And there's a center founded for him it's there. And I start doing woodcuts, and I started combining the woodcuts with the digital prints. Hmm. And that hmm. kind of began my way of breaking down
0: purely the, hand-carved woodcuts p- p- or
1: purely printed digital
0: uh, okay. prints.
1: I've done some solar plate etching. I don't know if some of you've done that, which is, you know, I'm, I'm I view myself as sort of a a try in terms of 2D, I do prints, I do drawings, I do paintings. I don't always do them equal time all the time, but I kind of find myself moving around, and I've been doing a lot of drawing recently, but I was doing these solar plate etchings, and they're a positive working process if you know the process, and so you can work on a transparency, like an acetate or frosted mylar, and you can print on that with digital digital aspect and you can layer and draw. That's very much a Photoshop kind of way of thinking in layers that influences my work as well. Another reference back to the computer. That idea, the the solar plates actually loosened me up because I stopped, stopped partitioning. I, I hmm. printed yeah. you know I was printing on transparent media which was kind of novel to me because I was always thinking of it opaquely. Right. And then I was starting to think in layers in sort of a tangible way outside yeah. of Photoshop. Yeah. And, you know, I'd have some funky things happen where I print something out and I get some water on it or something. Yeah. And I thought, oh, God, you know, I just blew this negative that, or positive that I'm going to use. Uh-huh. And I thought, well, all right, I'm just going to go in there and completely mess it up. Yeah. And so that kind of liberated me in some ways. <laughs> so. I had a I had a exhibition back uh, a number of years ago in 2009 at NIU. I titled the show "Imperfect Models," and I was really thinking about this idea of perfection and imperfection. And I and I pair that with the com- the computer and the mm-hmm. self, or the mm-hmm. machine and the self. And for me, it's not it's not like the machine is a cure-all. Right. It's not like the machine is a horrible, nasty entity is for me it's like a very human thing where you can't completely gauge what's happening mm-hmm. on the other side of that I mean I don't feel like I'm in control of technology mm-hmm. I don't think I'm necessarily in control of my future right. <laughs> entirely you know so for me it's a very it's a very kind of human condition this this kind of duality between the mm-hmm. machine and mm-hmm. so for me, also, moving away from this partitioned way of working, and also the computer allowing me it's a pr- everything has a bit of a pro and a con. The working on the computer is very much a printmakerly way of working. I find that I can have a state of an image, mm-hmm. I can make some changes, and I can chronicle that, and I can have a state, and I can always get back to it. Right now, 20 years from now, who knows what kind of longevity any of <laughs> yeah. our media has. Yeah. Okay, so that that's another, like, thing. you got a lot of
0: files out there yeah. That, yeah, on some uh, old operating systems. <laughs> yeah,
1: um, but you can think in a very methodical way and a very layered way. Yeah. And in some ways, for me, that lost its, became too predictable. So having to thrust those two elements back together and be... In a little bit more of an improvisational mode Mm -hmm. to me again makes it a little less ruly and and surprising and so no i no longer can quite see how these things are going to end up Mm -hmm. whereas if i'm planning a lot of that through the computer and i'm working strictly digitally it becomes kind of all right what's the point am i going to try to copy what i've done on the computer or (laughs) you know why am i doing this so for me it's It's a very kind of real, kind of give and take with what what I can do mm-hmm. and my limit. What are my limitations or my strengths, and also what I can kind of connect with in terms of technology and and things that I have affinities for. Back to again the futurists and different right. things, but I certainly have a much different lens with the power of being able to work with digital technology, but on another level, I like the mystery in this that they aren't overtly digital.
0: Right, right. That
1: one one has to start to look a little more carefully to realize exactly what's going on within these images.
0: Yeah, the digital reveals itself and then I think it does what you say. It's sort of, you are initially hit with older machine and machinery, turn of the century machinery. The old days of machinery hit with the futurist sort of aspect, but then when you find the digital in there, you start to think, well, you know, what's she saying about the digital through these old, I mean, it's definitely a pointed reference that you start with the traditional machine and then you, you find the digital machinery sort of slowly in the image. I think that's, that's a very interesting uh, reveal, slow reveal. That, you know, I think it's talking about what the futurists were talking about, you know, and they were gaga about cars and what, what machines meant for the changes in our culture and we all know that some of that went towards fascism and towards a sort of a negative outcome of being obsessed with technology. But then, sort of a coy reference to that, then with looking at what digital technology is doing to us too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder is that is that is there is there something there like, you know, hey, what's happening to our lives? The, the tyranny of the digital, maybe.
1: Yeah, I'm certainly my routine. Typically, um, I, I live in the Aurora area. My husband teaches in DeKalb at NIU. And so I commute to the city. And so I'm on, again, I'm on on trains, I'm (laughs) on, you know, and I'm doing a lot of observing Uh, and winding through the architecture of the city and the pace of the city, which again, I think feeds on these agitated images. Um, The energy. The energy. But I'm also around people that are, that got their earbuds in, They've got their <laughs> they've got their phones out, and they're all like,
0: right. You know, the zombies, and, they're in a different world. Yeah. And
1: you know, I'm typically not. Even even you know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm observing a lot, and so I I think there is sort of a passivity that is coming to mm. our lives that we're all connected with this, and we're not really observing what's around us mm. and really experiencing what's around us or. Yeah. Or even in making art and maybe I'll ruffle some feathers here but you know I still believe in like traditional drawing traditional painting traditional skills and what you can bring to that in the realm of the computer and my experience as an educator is that seeming to have less and less value mm-hmm. and I'm what, and you know there's a number of people that kind of fold full circle now I'm not so worried about painting, because mm-hmm. paintings already had a lot of deaths, <laughs> you know. But again, I think it's what you bring to it, and and I think potentially the computer and pushing a button and things are very mm-hmm. immediate mm-hmm. can make you know make for not such great art. Yeah. If you don't have a you know a visual thinking kind of act, action behind it.
0: I think we're all I think we're all fighting the same fight here, you know, like. Employing the technology, but not becoming slaves to it, and right. um, expanding the process without losing something, you know that we we shouldn't lose. That's definitely something that we, we're all feeling here. I was reminded of an artist that I really used to look at a lot. I had a little little fling with welding welding sculptures myself um, a long time ago, and an artist I believe is from Chicago. His name is Melvin Edward. Not 100% sure he's from Chicago. Do you know? Do you I, know him? I
1: don't have a mental picture of that.
0: Well, they're they're artist uh,
1: work, but that's okay.
0: They're wall objects, and they're and he's African American, and they're they they toy with Af- traditional African sculptural forms, but they're found object sculptures. You know, welded chains and scissors and tools, and they're mm-hmm. just these masses of things. So they they take utilitarian objects and turn them into these abstractions in a similar sort of way that the forms sort of accumulate together in this way. And, you know, I, when I read in your statement about internal narrative, I thought of his work. And for, I think for him, some of the internal narrative was some of the African-American experience mm-hmm. was being sort of tied into these objects that are being forced to weld together and clumped and, and struggle and bound and... Uh, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what that internal narrative. Give us some clues as to what the internal narratives are for each of these objects.
1: Well, I'm definitely going to look at Melvin Edwards because you've piqued my interest when you're describing Melvin Edwards' work. I'm, I'll come prior to your question in a roundabout.
0: Sure, way sure. here,
1: but you no know, another three, and again, three dimension is mm-hmm. in something that's there, whether you're in two d or three d here. it's still relevant. an artist that I respond to quite as Lee Bonteku. Oh,
0: uh-huh, sure, sure.
1: And, you know, her work in terms of touching three-dimension, two-dimension, but also even some of her later work that becomes more organic mm-hmm. and also, like, more almost more cosmic.
0: Yeah, yeah. And
1: her very late kind of mobile work, and some of her work touches, like, real objects, mm-hmm. flowers and mm-hmm. things, but other things are more abstract. Mm-hmm. You know, the, So I guess in some ways my work is not entirely entirely abstract, right. because you can, you can connect to real things. I don't know, the forms, so I started with these catalogs, and they had wood, gra- you know, back to bronze, mozzarella, they had wood grabbears in them, little yeah. teeny mm-hmm. ones, like size of postage stamps, oh, cool. and you can, again, with the intervention of the computer, start to scan them, and mm-hmm. take parts, and start to connect things. And that led me to also trying to look for the real objects, mm. starting with the catalogs. But then I started to go out and, you know, what does a cherry put? What does cherry pitter look like? Yeah. What does a this and that look like? So, in mediating between these elements, I think a dialogue begins. And I, for me, I guess the narrative is is sort of you know a tension that emerges in these images. Mm. They are, at least from my vantage point and my intent, they're not meant to be comfortable images. Mm-hmm. They're meant to be, you know, in some ways playful and inviting, but in other ways, sort of a little bit confrontational or, or threatening. So they're not they're not one dimensional in that way. Right. And so for me, there's usually something going awry. Here.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> they're fighting uh, harder. Yeah. There's
1: uh, they're functioning in their own kind of
0: space
1: and and i think the narrative is again going back to what i've touched on a little bit their flaws are very much human flaws yeah. you know the flaws that we have the flaws to get jealous the flaws to get angry the flaws to fall in love the flaws to make war with someone yeah. and they're not perfect right and so so their tensions it's their metaphor for that they're not an obvious metaphor right. like that, but I think that comes from all those emotions and all those things that we carry and, and my vessel is these mechanical forms for yeah. this yeah. to kind of in some way express my own my own world conditions and mm-hmm. with technology with various things right. and they become a little bodily in that way mm-hmm. and so I think they become animated in a sense that they are not still just functional, straightforward kind of renditions of form. They're, they are the product of human ingenuity and they are doing their own, you know, they've taken on <laughs> their own uh, psyche. And, yeah. and that very much reflects, for me, sort of the world that's not very predictable. More so now than any time, yeah. maybe. When you
0: work on the different ones, have you, do you walk away with different sensations from each piece? Is each piece kind of leaving you in a different state? Are there ones that you could point out in particular that...
1: Well, probably, you know, the vertical... Na- the, the, the triptychs are a little bit of a, a little bit of a wrench in what I'm going to say because they become a little bit more directed towards a landscape sure. and a group of characters,
0: right, um, right.
1: if you will. The first piece on, on the right there that's kind oh. of a, a greater kind of shape for me, you know, again, the vertical orientation makes these become a little bit more like characters rather than objects and you know for me that didn't strike me right away but this sort of a little more elongated format starts you know I'm not terribly tall person I'm five feet on a good day (laughs) I was I was joking when I came here I thought these cases make me feel pretty tall (laughs) Um, so they're, they're approaching you know they're not quite my physical size but they're not a whole lot off of that so I start to feel like I'm engaging them in a very kind of one-to-one kind of proportional way they're not larger than life Mm -hmm. that I can walk into it but they're very much on kind of a like a mirror you know like a mirror you'd have on your door kind of that scale so I don't know if I've answered the Mm -hmm. question or not Mm -hmm. i I kind of cycled around in a circle.
0: What about the, the digital collages now? And with this with the new process, the new discoveries, post solar plate and the more the more layer and working back into them. But the, you're doing these collages in Photoshop?
1: Well, I you know, just in terms of my technique, I, I'm embarrassed to maybe reveal it, but um, <laughs> I have a twenty four inch Epson printer. Okay. I have an early generation one that's an Epson seventy six hundred, which mm. by now is an old machine, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: it is a machine that was the ultra or ultra mm-hmm. They're the pigmented inks, right. so they're the first generation. They still make the ink. The machine is still running, so every print you get out of it's wh- good. Why good why not? And I'm not. You know, I have more control over what I'm doing. So the first light, I print on Stonehenge paper, mm. which is a printmaking paper. I'm not that concerned with the initial perfection of the image as I was with more of my 3D modeled work where I was using. Um, Hanamula papers that were specially coated you know where the ink sits more on the surface and you know it's more photographic in nature this is more the idea of laying down a a substrate if you will yeah and I view it as sort of the beginning of like an architectural plan like Mm. a blueprint and that part of the reason I got so much blue going on is Mm. that it's a little bit of a nod to architecture and it's a you know could be a template of some sort so I'm composing to make an initial layer with digital print. Once I start working with charcoal and pastel on there, I really don't feel that I can that easily like, pass it back right. through the printer. But I have like printed the paper and printed it again mm. and again. And mm. some of the images become denser. Like The a same type,
0: sheet going th- back, back it, yeah.
1: multiple times. Or if I want to print a wireframe, sometimes when you layer it in the computer, Mm -hmm. it's going to operate a little differently if I'd print it and I'd pass it through again and print it again. So I I start with that kind of idea and Mm. and then I just pretty much start to draw and just see what comes out and and part of that's mediating you know how much I'm going to reveal of that initial image, Mm -hmm. retain of it. And that can be kind of a tricky thing and that's something I feel And again, maybe I'm getting too comfortable. You know, there's a moment in all, and that's maybe my shifting of materials and kind of shifting of my approach. But I don't feel like I can do this right now as well in painting. Hmm. Because there's something about charcoal that, and maybe the ability to erase and smear, and not that you can't do that with paint. But there's a little different physicality i think with the charcoal that lends itself towards transparency Mm -hmm. that allows me to kind of play a little bit with weaving what's going to be more on the surface and what's going to be underneath and let those things dwell where i kind of feel like sometimes the paint for me is a little too opaque where it again starts to just
0: obliterates the other
1: or divide it you know it makes it too concrete i feel like with the drawings, these images kind of can flow a little bit. So you have—I mean, you haven't tried
0: to print them on canvas and then paint on the canvas. I have. You have and I it have. I have. Um,
1: I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't work. I'm, I'm thinking it's just a different—a different result. My my next move, and I've been very seriously thinking about it, is going larger. That you know, with the 24 inches on the current printer. 18 is a painting. You know, you need to have some ability to stretch yeah. the canvas. Right. And this is, you know, I can go infinite length, but right. as far as width and not having to do multiple panels. So on, my next move is probably to move up to forty four and start going a little bit larger. That's been one of my one of my goals, but this printer hasn't quite died yet. But I think I'm at a point where okay you can live you can live forever, but I'm gonna I'm gonna replace you. You might soon. need to
0: move on, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry, I've been dominating is it does anyone have any questions? No, you guys have questions for sure, but I
1: had a question about that since these are older elements, have you ever and maybe this happens in but they're so clean and bright shiny new, so I was wondering if rust or capturing some of the history of the use of the thing has ever made its way into your work. Yeah, i you know, that's a good question. I have thought, and that brings me back to some of my sculptural experiences as well. Like when you're making a sculpture, it's wood or it's metal and you know, that's there's an ability It's hard to fight the actual materiality of the materials. These, I think, are more graphic statements in some ways uh, in terms of the black and white and sort of the austerity of that. When I was doing more with 3D modeling, I was doing a lot with color because you can project lights on, you know, it's like working on a little stage. You can project lights on your forms and turn them and you know make adjustments you can I I didn't get into doing it but you can certainly import surfaces like marble or rust or what have you and apply them so I'm not I think there's moments where I'm using color again a little bit more fairly straightforward terms the idea of the blueprint or maybe one graphic kind of color note but I don't think at this point I'm trying to Represent like a material out in the real world with these, like it's a rusty piece of metal or, or that kind of thing. I have there. There are different points where I have had thought of that, and where I use more full-blown color, it's a little more like toys and a little more artificial, or or a little more bodily, but not not quite so. That, but it's it's something I think something I actually struggle with a little bit because again when I was working with the computer those decisions are so spontaneous and here I guess the ingredients I'm entering with are a little more graphic in nature as well so I'm I'm thinking of them not so much with color or specific like surface material at this point you know I think when I'm using warmer colors it maybe is pushing it a little more towards a bodily reference or more of a physical kind of reference. I suppose one could think of the blueprint as being sort of cold and more reduced. But yeah, I think, you know, I, I definitely, the newer drawings in this group, the more recent ones, are picking up a little more color. And I think it's a little bit out of, I'm sick of blue.
0: <laughs> you know, just to
1: really, just to put it in really, you know, kind of, I just gotta get away from this. But it's definitely making, your questions are making me think a little bit about it. And it's kind of like I'm, as these progress, I do think they're gonna take on more and more color. I'm not quite sure where it's gonna lead me yet. But your question's not redundant. (laughs) A good question.
0: There's one that's
1: got her, almost look like little curved spikes kind of falling. Is Mm -hmm. it the first one? that i was thinking very bodily like maybe the maybe the form is wounded you know that is again one of those you know maybe it is blood or maybe it is you know i don't want to make it like too obvious but you know it's for me that is like a little more of a bottle like a vein or a blood or drop of blood or some sort of you know connect sculpture's been really far removed for me it was more of a a brief a brief brief encounter but when i was doing sculpture i really liked to weld and i liked sort of the spontaneity of that and so and i was doing some things with found objects then too which now i'm thinking a little bit more about this i started out my first year as an undergraduate in detroit at what was then center for creative study and downtown by the Dia, Detroit Institute of Arts, and there were a lot of little stores that had interesting kinds of things, and I got my hand on these big bread, these big um, industrial bread pans, and they were kind of like grids, but they're also really kind of interesting structures. And I was making sculptures actually out of sort of mm. domestic objects. Mm-hmm. So it's you know, for me, a lot of things are are you know, somewhat cyclical in, in nature. But I like to weld. When I was doing three-dimensional stuff, I really liked to weld. But like I said, I fought the sort of physicality of it. I've had a couple of those pieces. I like to work big at that point. They've got to stand.
0: They can't <laughs> fall on someone. And I'm hinting. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm wondering, I know for me, like the idea of <laughs> and so I work a lot with found imagery and it's like, I find so much more inspiration in manipulating and moderating things that exist as opposed to just completely pulling it from my head or even just pulling it from like an observational source. And I was wondering if you find inspiration in working from found objects, like, or is it like you need to show, like those objects need to be present in the work and that's why you that kind of makes sense. Like, do you do you like having something to work off of that you're drawing from, or? Oh, I think I share some of your same feelings. I mean, it's nice to break the ice somewhere yeah. and not feel too precious about something. And I think that was part of my part of my weakness with like doing things on the computer and printing out something sort of perfected, and then sort of that was the end of it. And it's like. Mm, Um, I do think having the actual objects in front of me is important because it kind of gives me another, you know, the the digital layering and the work I'm doing on the computer to kind of get the dialogue going helps kind of break that white page and starts getting me thinking about, you know, what's going to happen here? But I think if I didn't have something in front of me at all and I was just working there, I'm not sure I would have as full of an experience with what I'm thinking about. I like having that object in front of me. Not that I'm trying to portray it completely as I'm seeing it, but I am seeing it and I can move it around and I can start messing with it and I can open it up and I can take it apart and I can put something else next to it and I can stop looking at it for a while and look at this. and and so it becomes like the space in between those two things produces something different yeah. and i like sort of the there it, it's you know i could just render the thing that's in front of me beautifully as it is but that would be kind of in the same place as that perfect computer image that there's not this sort of space in between those two processes where something gets unleashed that's not entirely predictable or, you know, again, maybe that's back to an aura that you're creating in your work that kind of is a bit of yourself, whatever you're doing and you're kind of infusing that with your psyche and energy and interests and it's not just kind of, you know, it starts to take a little bit of a life on to itself and a little bit of your life in some ways in terms of making that a more meaningful thing. So I think it's somewhere. It's somewhere in between that process and frankly you don't always arrive at that in a real satisfying way and if I feel like I default to that perfected kind of thing or just kind of recording what's in front of me, then then sort of the, the mystery of that has
0: dissolved. Let me clarify that. So, you you photocollage the objects from the catalogs for the most part. That's where most of the digital imagery comes from. And they, then the drawing the drawing with the charcoal and the pastel comes from actual objects that you you've accumulated. Or do you ever draw the images? Are you you're mostly drawing from objects from life on top of the images, or um, or is it a mix of different?
1: The the digital aspects have come from the catalogs, mm-hmm. snippets and layering and different things are really not too much what I'm seeing in the catalog either it's again the ability to sort of bring things together and and use that as sort of a map if you yeah. will kind of to set up a, a little bit of a something to look at and something to start uh, breaking the ice with with starting a piece and then I do look at real objects too and and three-dimensional things so Mm -hmm. it's not just relating to two-dimensional source material but three-dimensional things as well and trying to mediate between those Mm -hmm. and sometimes there's a logic to, you know, I've got a an image that I've drawn from, let's say, Enterprising Housekeeper Mm -hmm. of the cherry pitter and I do actually have a cherry pitter and I'm trying to plumb a relationship between that physical object and the illustration but in, in no way is it in no way is it kind of a direct thing either. And, and sometimes it's not that logical. It's p- combining things from Pratt and Whitney and, and other. Th- and I've moved on to a lot of other um, publications. and mm-hmm. I, I hate to say it. I, 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 I like looking at eBay and I like looking at
0: <laughs> oh, all the kind of, the stuff,
1: of yeah. weird stuff that's in there. And there's some very you know interesting kinds of source materials and, you know, even, you know, from the graphic design uh, standpoint, those catalogs and publications from that period of time are really interesting objects onto themselves. The people that were putting those things together, and you think about catalogs and publications we have now that are paper,
0: <laughs> ah,
1: they're in a whole nother realm.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I, you know, I don't know how much you, you go back to older things and and showing. I mean, it's they're interesting. They're very interesting. And again, the means by which they were produced. Some of them are actually typeset. Right. Actually, you know, the teeny tiny six point type. These people probably went blind setting that type. And manually, and I know you've got some of these type presses.
0: Have yeah, either of you guys set Tuck
1: Tucked away. You have?
0: <clears throat> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. We're
1: talking books that are this thick that are all manually done in little small, <laughs> small wood yeah. gravures. And I do like the ones that go back <laughs> further yet that aren't reliant on, like, well, we, we're dealing with pixel dots, but prior to that, you know, uh, what am I trying to think? Screen, you know, uh, yeah. resolution screens, Um a dots right, right. Lichtenstein got really inspired by that in his paintings. I like the ones that are a pure statement that, that aren't mediated through some sort of uh, process, you know, more current process. I like the ones that are especially done by hand because they they have an aura mm-hmm. as a publication that somebody... Somebody was doing a lot of very physical, direct kind of labor to produce those, and there's definitely a hand in that mechanical process. So those those have kind of some mystery for me too, and and really surprised me because I wasn't looking at that kind of stuff at all up until a couple years ago. And again, I'm not yet exactly sure what prompted me to start looking at it, mm-hmm. other than my own affinities for. Mechanical objects and sort of the architectural built world that I respond to, yeah. but I was surprised by that. I was very surprised by them, and they're they're interesting to look at, and they're interesting to kind of think about what went into them. You have the object, but it's not really you can't go buy that object. Right, <laughs> right. 10, 12 different things collage together, whether it's digitally or you're physically manipulating on the page. So and I certainly respond to Piranesi's work and you know another reference maybe more even more known reference obviously would be like Da Vinci and his anatomical drawings you know early and his war machines and his inventions you know there is a degree of there's obviously a degree of genius there but there's also a degree of like implausibility creepiness you know weirdness you know playfulness and so I, I kind of respond. I do respond to, again, that kind of place that different artists have been, you know, speculating about things, creating things, and and certainly Piranesi would be on my radar, and Da Vinci in terms of earlier, much earlier references, and sometimes even the most distant references can be the most meaningful ones, you know. We could dismiss, like, really studying very early art history stuff and think, well, that's not so interesting in favor of modern art or contemporary art or, and kind of just miss the whole potential for those things to yeah. connect and collide. So especially early on when I was studying, I, I actually gravitated to more of those old, old some of those older, more, not that the things we are not talking about are, are obscure, but you know, things that are not that close to me in, you know, contemporary time.
0: Stumble upon it, it seems like it could have been made yesterday or today. You know, yeah. There's a
1: timelessness about that. How long does it take you to finish one, or do you work on several at a time, and you just kind of let it bounce, ideas bounce back? Well, you see some of these kind of feel like pairs, um, those two drawings and those two drawings, and in some ways they, some like the two, in that case, the the base, if you will, are is related, and one's sort of a positive version of the form, and one's kind of a negative version of the form. So I do work on multiple things at once, and sometimes I find it beneficial for them to kind of talk to each other. So I like the sense that these w- could work individually, but these could be one big drawing, like one big story. You know, they're not... It's not that they're inseparable, but I think they they do connect and they kind of reinforce each other as well so and that comes from kind of working on multiple things at once, and like everybody in whose work is creative, there is moments that things flow very well, and there are moments when you struggle like heck to get something to work and I I think that probably the drawings I struggle on are the ones that are any work drawing, print, whatever that I'm struggling and everybody's been there. You feel like you want to throw the thing out. And if you give yourself some distance from it, sometimes those are the works that are actually the better works because you're 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 patient and you're having that internal fight about how to solve it. It's not like I'm on autopilot and I can
0: breakthrough on a soldier. You have some
1: sort of breakthrough and I guess when I do feel like I'm not doing that so much in my work then I feel like hmm, I'm trying to try something a little a little bit different and so that's usually where I have the impetus to maybe jump, jump ship a little bit I'm going to go back to printmaking for a little while or I'm going to fight that fight and get these to start to work as paintings mm-hmm. but I hadn't drawn in a very long time and part of that even though I teach drawing, as far as my own work up until 2014, where where this series started, I probably didn't do any serious drawing in my own work 10, 15 years, because I was doing all that stuff on the computer. Mm-hmm. That became my sketchbook, and I, you know, became very accustomed to that, and you know, was doing all my visual thinking that way. And you know, I think there was a moment where I just kind of felt like I'm going to go back to go back to the hand. So I, I and I'm not always sure what triggers it, but I I know that's how I kind of renew renew myself very often when I feel like I'm not struggling as much. Not that I want to be struggling constantly, <laughs> but if I'm not feeling if I'm not feeling engaged with it, then I usually shift direction and try to set up a wrench for myself that I start to have to work at it to solve the so and that's I don't know how you guys feel, but that's that's the plight of an artist. You never you never solve anything. <laughs> you never do completely solve anything, at least from my vantage point. Yeah. Otherwise, you kind of it's kind of like a puzzle. You want to keep solving, you know, and and once you've solved it, I guess you're done. But or if the puzzle becomes too easy, what's the what's the point? So.
0: All right, well, we should probably cut it. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. And
1: I appreciate you guys coming on a warm Friday afternoon <laughs> yes. with no air conditioning in the building.
0: This has been Q&A recorded in the Cadditch Gallery at St. Ambrose University in Davenport, Iowa. The Cadditch and Morrissey Galleries are located in the Galvin Fine Arts and Communications Center at 2101 North Gain Street between Locust and Lombard. All content of this podcast is the exclusive property of St. Ambrose University Copyright 2017 and may not be utilized without expressed written permission.